Do you remember the prom? Oh, God. <laughs> and, and how maybe there was one person that a whole lot of people wanted to ask out? <laughs> well, that's kind of what happened with Amazon's second headquarters. The bids are in, and 238 cities and regions submitted proposals. It's uh, similar to wanting to, to take the prettiest lady to the, to the dance. That's Jay Cheshire. He's the president of the Little Rock Regional Chamber. At first, he was excited about proposing to Amazon, but when he really thought about it, he realized he'd probably be rejected. The prettiest girl usually ends up with the dreamiest quarterback. We certainly, in, this, in the case of this project, uh, would be at best the second string quarterback. So instead, they made a breakup video. Hey, Amazon, we need to talk. It's not you, it's us. We wish you all the success in the world. Love, Little Rock. Love, Little Rock. Love, Little Rock. They broke up before they could even get started. But Seattle can't break up with Amazon. This isn't a prom date, this is a marriage, and things have been a little tense lately. It, it used to be, you know, jobs, 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 and, and it pretty quickly flipped to, what's up with all these cranes? It was really far along in that process of their growth that, that all of a sudden everyone sort of woke up and said, oh my gosh, what's happening? And the rents are staggering, I would say, $4,400 for a two bedroom. And it was amazing how quickly it flipped. I'm Joshua McNichols. And I'm Carolyn Adolph. This is Primed. What happens when Amazon comes to your town? This is the story of a relationship on the rocks. How Amazon went from being Seattle's knight in shining armor to an estranged spouse with a wandering eye. We'll try to figure out where things started to go wrong. And we'll meet some people who are living this story. That's all coming up next. I'm Tan Tan, host of Second Wave, a new podcast from KUOW that explores the Vietnamese-American experience. I sit down with Pulitzer Prize-winning author Viet Thanh Nguyen, dive into the origins of pho, yum. I examine the controversy behind the Vietnamese flag and much, much more. To learn more about Second Wave, go to KUOW.org slash podcast. So right after our first episode came out, this guy Dave Niekirk posted to the Primed Facebook page. He wanted to let us have it. He thought we were being way too negative, too unfair to Amazon. Niekirk actually used to be a vice president at Amazon in charge of hiring. He doesn't work for them now, but he got in touch because he wanted to remind us of how good things used to be between Amazon and Seattle. So we decided to talk to him. Niekirk started by telling us about the heady early days of this relationship, when Seattle was so happy to have this major employer in town. What we found when we would meet with people is, and we would tell them they were hired, it was not unusual for people to burst into tears. To understand why people reacted so strongly, we have to remember what it was like in 2008. Good evening. This is an extraordinary period for America's economy. Over the past few weeks, many Americans have felt anxiety about their finances and their future. I understand their worry and their frustration. It was the Great Recession. Big banks were failing. Washington Mutual had been Seattle's largest employer. It disappeared overnight. 
By 2010, one in 10 people didn't have jobs in Seattle. It seemed like no one was hiring. I remember that time I couldn't get radio work and I was sweeping up floors in a glass shop for just a little over minimum wage. I remember looking at Amazon job listings and just wondering if they could offer a way out. This whole town needed a white knight, and it turned out Amazon was the company that had the jobs to lift us out of the recession. Niekirk was in charge of hiring during the recession, and he was doing a lot of it. We were basically given a blank check to hire as many, uh, especially in the engineering field, talented engineers as we possibly could with no limit. And uh, I think at some point we actually ran out of laptops. (laughs) How does a tech company run out of laptops? Yeah, it's Amazon, right? Can't they just order some? (laughs) But the recession was this crazy opportunity for Amazon. I used to tell people that hiring engineering talent at this point in time is like finding gold bars. And you would, try, you would try to get as many of those as you can when you could because that long term is going to be a huge investment for the success of the company. All those new engineering hires earned a lot of money, some more than $100,000 a year. Those jobs helped Seattle recover from the recession before many other parts of the country. And meanwhile, Amazon outgrew its old headquarters building on Beacon Hill overlooking Seattle. It needed a whole new campus. Seattle wanted to keep it in the city, and so Seattle started giving Amazon things it needed to support all these new buildings. It wasn't asking for the moon. It wanted fresh infrastructure. But we did gussy things up a bit. We bought them a new trolley line that connected their neighborhood with downtown, and an improved power grid. We spent about a billion dollars. And we did it because we thought it would be good for jobs and the future of the city. And we were probably half right. Because we did get a lot of jobs. Amazon now has 40,000 on the payroll and says it takes responsibility for another 53,000 jobs. Those jobs made even more jobs. Yeah, right. The multiplier effect, right? Exactly. So it was good for people who didn't work for tech companies, too. I met this guy, Carl Hackett. He sells furniture to techies, and he's doing okay. I love Amazon, frankly, because the impact of Amazon's presence in Seattle has meant that my business is thriving to a degree that it it did not and would not have um, if it were not for that impact. The truth of the matter is that I am in business now uh, because Amazon um, is in business in Seattle. So Seattle's investment kind of worked. We did some quick math. The city of Seattle grows by 57 people a day, and 28 people a day are hired by Amazon or a company that came here to be near Amazon. But we don't know if those 28 new hires come from here or if they come from far away. Amazon wouldn't say. Knowing that would tell us whether Amazon's making us rich or whether it's replacing us. So that's the story of how Seattle and Amazon ended up together. Amazon grew up here, we saw it around sometimes, then suddenly they were all grown up and rich, and they had something we really needed. That's when we threw ourselves at Amazon. That's when we invited Amazon into the center of our city. And that's when we started to realize what it's really like to be in a relationship with this company. Coming up, how this relationship soured. Radioactive Youth Media on KUOW. I spent the summer at KUOW with seven other teens. So many of us chose to tell our family stories of staying connected across oceans. 
sitting in front of the screen is as if we are just sitting next to each other. Of course, you can't touch each other, right? But it's so close. And how we still find joy. To manage to have moments of happiness is the most rebellious act. <laughs> to hear stories from Radioactive, go to KUOW.org podcast. Things were good between Seattle and Amazon for a long time. But then something changed along the way. Seattle stopped thinking Amazon was going to save it and started complaining about it. It's like the hot boyfriend with the motorcycle. You know, you're flying along and it's exciting, but then you're like, I'm riding on the back. I can't even see what's ahead. And suddenly this is too fast, this is not about me, and I just want to get off. (laughs) Seattle got to that point too. Yeah, the memory of the pain of the recession was not terribly long. Mike McGinn was mayor when that collective realization hit. And it was amazing how quickly it flipped. It, it used to be, you know, jobs, 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 and, and it pretty quickly flipped to, what's up with all these cranes? The cranes showed how fast the city's growth was exploding. The people who were flooding into the city and the money they could spend on housing were starting to change the city for everyone else. I met Matt Stubbs outside his restaurant south of Seattle's downtown. He said the feeling crept up on him. And he said it felt like the entire city made the connection at once. I didn't hear it in civic discourse until all of a sudden it was the entirety of civic discourse. It was really far along in that process of their growth that that all of a sudden everyone sort of woke up and said, oh my gosh, what's happening? Remember all those engineers making six-figure salaries? A lot of them came from elsewhere. A lot of people who already lived in Seattle didn't get those high-paying jobs. I mean, just to be fair to Amazon, they probably didn't have the skills. But this figure might surprise you. Half of Seattle makes less than $50,000 a year. That shows that trickle-down economics isn't trickling down. There's a lot of wealth floating around Seattle, but not everybody's sharing in it. Meanwhile, the cost of living in Seattle keeps going up. The University of Washington puts some numbers on that rising cost of living. They say that for a family of four to live in today's Seattle, it had cost $76,000 just for the basics, like a car and childcare and food. That's more than double what it was 10 years ago. A lot of people who do important work for the city can't afford to live here. Firefighters, teachers, retail clerks, half the people who work in Seattle don't live there. So think about this. When nurses are on call, they're supposed to be able to get to work within an hour. But a lot of them can't find homes in the city. And so they battle Seattle's ferocious traffic. You never really know when you're going to get to work. So the commute in really heaps on the stress. This is probably sounding really familiar to people living in places like San Francisco or New York or D.C. The core of the city is getting richer and parts of the edge are getting poorer. Remember that furniture store owner I met, Carl Hackett? He's African-American, and he's doing business in a neighborhood that is historically African-American. He is seeing homeowners being driven out. I literally was at a home three weeks ago talking to a lady. They can't afford to keep the house, even though it's been in the family for over 50 years. They have to sell. They can't afford to maintain the house and to keep the property taxes paid. And once those houses are on the market, the bidding wars are vicious. People are coming in with cash offers, way over asking price, and they're waiving inspections. And rents are astronomical. 
They're so beyond the pale. They're what people think of when they think of luxury items. Even at the Ferrari dealership, which is just up the hill from Amazon. I talked to a salesman there who sells cars that can cost up to $400,000. He didn't even look at them when we talked about the new wealth. But he seemed shocked by the rents just a few doors down. They do a lot of uh, Amazon people in that building, and the rents are staggering, I would say, $4,400 for a two-bedroom. All of this is really changing the city. People look around, and they don't recognize it anymore. I met Jim Parfit on Capitol Hill. He notices that as young, hip people move in, whole kinds of other people seem to disappear. In Seattle, there's almost no old people anywhere. Like, um, you know, I mean, there are on the fringes somewhere, but that's something I really notice. The, the, like they, they've all been vacuumed up or something. Leaving a city that people outside Seattle seem to think is cool. Forbes magazine says we're now the second coolest city in the U.S., aside from San Francisco, of course. San Francisco beat us on restaurants and museums, but Seattle has more microbreweries and coffee shops. But here's the kicker. One thing Forbes thinks makes a city cool is how many people are moving there. Oh, just sheer volume, which is funny because so many people in Seattle do not think that is cool. A local alternative paper here ruthlessly mocked that Forbes article. That kind of stuff really gets under Seattle's skin because while the number of microbreweries and the number of people moving in here might just be items on Forbes ranking, this is our life. We're living through these changes. One of the people who is really living through this change is Deborah Bartlett. She's a middle-class worker who's managed to stay in Seattle despite it all. Actually, she lives right in the middle of Amazon's headquarters neighborhood, South Lake Union. The only reason she can afford it is because she's found a subsidized apartment. Well, I felt like I hit the jackpot. She's a teacher. She works part-time. Last year, she only earned $44,000 a year. And even though she lives in South Lake Union, she feels like an outsider there. She and her boyfriend went to one of the new restaurants where Amazon workers eat. Once. It's very expensive. And it would be our entire... We could not afford to go there every week. And if we went there once, it would be our entire dining budget for the month. Bartlett's budget's actually pretty tight. She visits the cash machine after payday each month. Okay, now I'm sorting all the money. And in the car, she stuffs her money into different envelopes to make sure she doesn't spend too so much. there's a grocery one, and a dining one, and an entertainment, and there's the allowance, and laundry. This kind of tight budgeting is not what Seattle was hoping for when we got into this relationship. The bloom is off the rose at this point. Amazon brought a lot of jobs to the city and a lot of money, and they do not feel appreciated. They don't like being blamed for everything that's going wrong. We're citizens of this area too, and so nobody gains through all these problems. We all want to find solutions that will work. They say they're trying to help find those solutions, which is kind of new for them. They're building a homeless shelter. They paid for one of the trolley cars. They've given money to our university. But this is not what people talk about when they talk about Amazon. Uh, when stories are told about the company, they're always looking for some negative angle about what the company is achieving. And one of the frustrating things is that we have, you know, you're going to find what you look for. Niekirk says we should think about Seattle's problems like Amazon would. We need to be creative. We need to think long term and focus on the customer. 
that's how we will get through the challenges that both the city and the state and the country, quite frankly, faces is through innovative and new ways of thinking and not just thinking about things from the past. So Seattle does not have the healthiest relationship with this company. We've just stopped hearing each other. Lately, it sounds kind of like a marital spat where Amazon is like, hey, I'm building a homeless shelter for you. What more do you want? Yeah, and Seattle's like, I don't want this homeless problem in the first place. You're so emotional. I can't even talk to you when you're like this. I'm going to go sleep in Denver or Austin or New York. You just go there and you think about how right I am. (laughs) I would never talk to my wife this way, by the way. Well, I probably would say that to my husband. It is clear that Seattle and Amazon are long past the early stage of the relationship. We've grown apart. But is that all Amazon's fault? We all know it takes two to screw up a relationship. And whose fault is it really that Seattle hasn't been able to keep up with all the growth that Amazon brought? That's what's coming up in our next episode of Primed. We're going to take a good, long look in the mirror. And it's not going to be pretty. I'm Joshua McNichols. I'm Carolyn Adolph. This is Primed. You can join the conversation on our Facebook page. Just search for KUOW Primed. Primed is a production of KUOW Public Radio in Seattle. Our editor is Carol Smith. Our producer is Posey Gruner. Our managing producer is Brendan Sweeney. Our theme is Ripples on an Evaporated Lake by Raymond Scott. You heard Heartline by Pesner, a Seattle artist. You can find links to their work on our website. Special thanks to our friends at City Lab and to everyone at KUOW who helped make this thing happen. Thanks. Thanks.